Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? So this is probably going to be a little long for a Tech Stuff tidbits episode, but it's also, I think it's going to be somewhere between a tidbits and a full episode. We'll see when we get done, won't we? But I thought I would do a spotlight on a particular startup story during the heyday of the dot-com bubble, as in when dot-com companies were considered the new, you know, gold rush. And it's a story about greed, deception, and a spectacular collapse. So let's set the scene. And by the way, this is a story that has been told before, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about a particular depiction of this later on. Now, in the early 90s, Very few people outside of academia and maybe some research facilities, some military facilities, very few people were aware of the internet in general. Uh, The mainstream was blissfully ignorant of the internet. People might have made use of an online service provider or OSP, or maybe if you were a nerd like me, a bulletin board system or BBS. But these were kind of windows into 
tiny walled gardens for the most part, and they only offered a hint of what would be possible with the proliferation of the internet and the World Wide Web. As such, no one was really thinking ahead about you know, monetizing the internet in a meaningful way, because again, most folks didn't even know the internet existed. But then came the World Wide Web in the early 90s. If you listen to my interview with Baratunde Thurston, then you know I was skeptical of the web when I first encountered it in college. And I could hardly be blamed, because at that point, the web was essentially a bunch of text-based pages. Uh, these were static pages, so nothing would change on them, and everything kind of looked like it was torn out of a statistics textbook. It was not exciting. It didn't resemble today's web at all, really. But with Netscape's introduction of the Secure Sockets layer, or SSL, and the foundation of companies like eBay and Amazon, the mid-90s saw a glimmer of what the web could be from a commercial standpoint. If you had to pick a year where things really began to take a turn toward the commercial, 1995 would be a pretty decent choice. Shortly after that, folks began to really dream big about the sort of businesses that could be enabled by the internet, and the web in particular. And behind those companies was the financial sector. And in this case, we're talking mostly about venture capitalists and other types of investors who saw this as an opportunity to turn a lot of money into, let's see, uh, a metric buttload of money. Yeah, so these are rich people looking to get way more rich, for the most part. There are probably some people who probably couldn't afford to invest and were doing it anyway. But yeah, this was these were the money people, right? The potential of the internet in general and the web in particular looked like it was going to be uh, the possibility of a huge payout. And for some cases, it was. So we started seeing these various money people pour ludicrous amounts of capital into various startups. Now, some of these startups didn't really have any business plan to speak of. So while they were flush with investment capital and they had a whole lot of money to spend, they didn't necessarily have a way to generate significant revenue. And so these were companies that were just kind of coasting on investment cash and not able to support themselves. So they were living on borrowed time. You know, a lot of them would end up seeking multiple rounds of funding and they would stay afloat constantly in the, in the effort to try to either find a way to generate enough revenue to sustain itself or, and this was the preferred thing, it still is to this day, get acquired by somebody else and, and accept an enormous payout and get like bonkers wealthy. And some of these companies actually did have ways to generate revenue. They weren't like just completely directionless. However, most of the time we're talking about some relatively modest revenue. And maybe if they were allowed to grow organically, they could have stuck around. But a lot of investors were encouraging these companies to scale rapidly, to, to expand their services and their presence well beyond what they could support. And so these companies ran into serious trouble because, you know, scaling increased costs, but not necessarily an equivalent increase in the ability to generate revenue. So really, it just meant that it was getting more expensive to run these companies as they were growing larger and larger. But we don't need to talk about all of that. We all know 
that the dot-com bubble ultimately burst, and it was due to a lot of different factors. But our story focuses on one tech startup in this dot-com bubble era, a startup that got a lot of attention and money before things went totally pear-shaped. And that startup was called Pixelon. Now, a man calling himself Michael Finney founded Pixelon in 1998 in San Juan Capistrano, California. And the whole purpose of Pixelon was to bring streaming video to the web in 1998. Now, let's get some perspective on this. In 1998, much of the world that was online was still relying on dial-up internet. That meant that people who were using a modem connected to an ordinary telephone line and dialed into an ISP server. Now, the fastest modems on the market in 1998 were capable of download speeds of up to 56 kilobits per second. Not gigabits, not megabits, kilobits. And that was the fastest. Not everyone had the fastest modems. Some of us were rocking significantly slower ones. And sure, there were a few folks who had DSL connections in the late 90s, which were significantly faster than dial-up modems. And fewer still were starting to get cable internet connections. That was really on the verge of becoming a thing more in the 2000s era. By the late 90s, it, it was pretty darn rare. So it would take time for folks to migrate away from dial-up, even as these services were starting to come online. Because, I mean, obviously, rolling out these services across different regions took a lot of time. Now, to look at it another way, uh, YouTube, arguably the best-known online video platform, wouldn't debut until 2005. So a web-based video platform capable of sending streaming video with a thousand different channels to a user's computer way back in 1998 was a pretty darn ambitious goal. Not necessarily impossible, but very challenging to pull off. Now, Finney didn't just come into this idea out of the blue. He had founded a quote-unquote computer business, which is about as specific as I can get because I couldn't find any real details about it, but he called it uh, Restec, R-E-S-T-E-C. Find out what it means to me. He leased office space from this guy named Chuck Halsworth, and Finney's clients were asking about the possibility of, you know, replaying horse races over a computer, like televised horse races. And that got him into thinking about computer video. And he and Houseworth put a couple of other folks together and they founded a company called Digital Motion Video. Over the course of about a year, their team made some progress and that led Finney to think of the next big thing, a 1,000-channel internet video platform capable of streaming digital video to users no matter where they were as long as you know they had a computer and an internet connection. So Michael Finney seemed determined. And he established himself as the head of Pixelon. Uh, it depends what the title, like the title depends on what source you're looking at. It sounds to me like he was pretty loosey-goosey with titles. In some accounts, he's referred to as the chairman and some the CEO and others the chief technology officer. And he worked really hard to get various investors to pour money into this endeavor. And one person whom he tapped to invest in his vision was the owner of an insurance company in Southern California, a guy by the name Paul Ward. Now, Ward was fascinated by Finney's pitch, but he didn't feel so great about Michael Finney himself. I mean, he seemed a bit unstable, 
to put it lightly. This was in the very early days of Pixelon, when it was just a small office with a few employees, plus Finney himself. And Finney had hired some engineers, but the whole enterprise seemed a little uncertain. Finney definitely seemed like a an eccentric leader. So Ward was guiding the company toward a round of fundraising, which was aiming for around $30 million. Uh, actually, the accounts on this vary too. In some, it says as low as $28 million, and some, it's as high as $35 million. But at any rate, Ward was getting a bit nervous about seeking this funding. Uh, meanwhile, Michael Finney was publishing press releases announcing that Pixelon had signed a deal with Paramount Pictures, and Paramount would lean on Pixelon to promote Star Trek Insurrection, the Next Generation film in 1998, using online video. Uh, Star Trek Insurrection wasn't that great of a movie, so I guess this was kind of a match made in heaven. Okay, the plot will thicken, but before we thicken the plot, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. 
There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Finney didn't come across as someone who could build out the technical infrastructure to make something like an online streaming video network work. So... Ward reached out to someone that he had met when a New York insurance company had purchased his California-based insurance company. This was a guy named Robert Feldman. Ward asked Feldman to come on board with Pixelon to help make it work from a technical level. And uh, Feldman had been working in IT and telecommunications for years. So by this time, we're into early 1999. Pixelon was working on components for streaming video. They would later turn out that a lot of the stuff being worked on wasn't actually Pixelon's own stuff. Like, the player wasn't Pixelon's. Instead, what they had done was they had reskinned, essentially they had disguised a version of other companies' products, namely Microsoft's Windows Media Player. So it had a Pixelon overlay, but it was in fact Windows Media Player underneath. So Pixelon wasn't even a real Pixelon product. It was just a, you know, just a, a facade. But Feldman, he comes on and he's told his title is Chief Technology Officer. But as I mentioned, the titles were real loosey-goosey. Feldman himself said that maybe that was something that Michael Finney was doing intentionally in order to keep people kind of off balance and at odds with each other so that no one could really challenge him as a leader, which should sound a little sus. So Feldman starts to work on establishing the technical components to make Pixelon's business possible. The company built out a server room. They established a few co-located server spaces in other cities because they knew that if they just depended upon one centralized server room, they would not really be able to provide service across the country. Like there would be severe lag and latency issues the further out you got from the main server room. So they started to co-locate servers in other places. There really wasn't any existing infrastructure for the company to rely upon. Like there were no other providers out there that already had established server farms where you could lease space in the farms. That 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 business didn't really exist yet. So they were kind of making it up as they go along. Now, the company also purchased some extremely expensive video encoding stations. So the idea was that users would generate video. They would upload it to Pixelon's servers. Pixelon would then use these very expensive encoding stations to encode the video to make it suitable for streaming. And then visitors to Pixelon's site would be able to watch that video on demand. While the engineers were trying to figure out streaming video, Michael Finney was planning some pretty massive moves. He was also, at least according to Feldman, hurling verbal abuse at various Pixelon employees 
over the office's PA system. He would get on this PA system and talk about people needing to go back behind the shed for a whooping because they weren't um, performing up to his expectations, I suppose. Uh, He also occasionally would lead mandatory prayer services in the office. Again, something you don't typically see. Some folks would later liken a few of his activities to that of a cult leader. Now, the biggest PR move that he made, and it was one that would really become the stuff of legends, was a $12 million party. Uh, Some accounts have it as high as like $16.5 million that was held in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the MGM Grand Hotel and Casino, and it was called the Ibash. Lowercase i, big B, Ibash. By the way, this is, you know, before, like, iTunes and stuff. So really edgy there. Now, y'all, I work for iHeartRadio, and iHeartRadio really knows how to put on a big live music event. Like, they do one every year. I've never been, but it's this huge event that happens, again, in Las Vegas, Nevada. And they get huge names on there. So that's not that unusual to me. However, if you look at the list of performers for Pixelon's October 1999 debut party, like, this is their launch party, it really boggles the mind. Let's do a quick rundown of some of the acts that performed at this insane launch party. Keep in mind, we are talking about 1999 because at least one or two of the acts, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like that's that big of a deal these days. You might find that person performing at a county fair. Not not the same in 99. So uh, first up, we got the Brian Setzer Orchestra, which was desperately clinging on to the fading days of the swing revival fad of the early to mid-90s. Dark days indeed for some of my friends, who some of them actually really got into swing dancing, so they loved it. (laughs) But others were like, why did swing come back? Um, There was also Tony Bennett, a familiar face on the Vegas scene. There was Faith Hill, uh, Leanne Rimes, uh, Natalie Cole. There was Kiss... You know, they rock and roll all night and party every day. Uh, there was Sugar Ray, which, all right, get your jokes in now. And there were the Chicks. Uh, back then, they went by the name Dixie Chicks. They dropped Dixie in 2020. This was also before they raised the ire of certain branches of their fandom when they started to criticize certain American military policies in the early 2000s. But capping things off, was an incredibly expensive reunion of The Who. Big, big deal there. I mean, The Who are like, they're they're at that upper echelon of rock star, right? They're like at Rolling Stones level. And the plan was to live cast this party to a digital billboard in Times Square, New York. Feldman actually requested to be put in charge of making that happen because it meant that he could work on a technical challenge, and more importantly, not be around Michael Finney, whom he found to be extremely abrasive. However, he discovered that the company's tech just couldn't do it, or maybe it was actually on the billboard side of things. They were leasing billboard space from a company, and maybe that was where the problem was. In fact, he said that they were not able to figure out what was going wrong. They just knew it wasn't working. So instead of streaming over the internet to this digital billboard, Feldman and some other folks 
were able to set up a satellite dish on top of a telephone pole and connect that to the digital billboard and use the satellite dish to catch the satellite feed of the party and send that to the billboard. So in other words, the video being shown on the billboard was not being streamed over the internet at all. It was a satellite feed. Uh, See, Pixelon was actually beaming this feed via satellite so that the offices in California would be able to receive the broadcast and then stream it. It's just that the streaming part wasn't working. Now, on top of that, the plan was to make video clips of this party, the iBash, available on Pixelon the following day. The idea being, all right, well, you know, we're going to cut this up into performance-sized pieces, upload the videos to the service, and then people can watch it later. However, it turned out that Michael Finney had not set up the proper contracts with the talent to secure the rights to do that. And so apparently everyone except maybe Kiss denied Pixelon permission to make available their performances at this party. So the $12 million party was largely a bust, at least as far as demonstrating Pixelon's technology. Uh, It might have got a lot of press, but didn't get a lot of movement on the tech front. Now, toward the end of 1999, Pixelon's investors had had enough of Michael Finney as chairman of the company. They felt that he was a detriment to the mission. They They still thought that the company had merit but that Michael Finney was just a destructive force and needed to be taken care of. So they had decided to force him to step down from his role at the company. Now, according to Robert Feldman, this is when another really bonkers thing happened. Finney apparently hired some armed guards to prevent folks from coming into his office. Uh, so really a couple of like big beefy bodyguards who, at least according to some accounts, were armed. Now. This was just as the investors were supposed to visit the company and convince Michael Finney to step down. And Feldman says that after contacting the Orange County Police Department, a SWAT team showed up and the guards ended up being dismissed. Like, it it didn't escalate from there, but it did require the SWAT team to arrive. Finney was on the outskis because the investors told him he had to go. And Feldman and team rushed to lock Finney out of the company's systems. Paul Ward would take over as CEO. But y'all, things are about to get even more crazy. See, Pixelon was still trying to get services up and running, but just wait. After we come back from this break, things are going to go super nuts. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. 
there is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, I said before the break, things were about to go super crazy, fun bonkers. And here we go. It turned out that Michael Finney wasn't Michael Finney. In reality, he was a man named David Kim Stanley, or as one Wired article accidentally put it, Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley is in fact a member of KISS, but no, it was not Paul Stanley of KISS who was posing as Michael Finney. It was David Kim Stanley. Now, David Kim Stanley had a history of running cons and scams. He was a pastor's son, in fact, his grandfather was also a preacher, so he was the son of a preacher man. Uh, he had initially focused on tricking parishioners in his father's church out of their money. This graduated into an all-out general stock fraud scheme, and he was caught. In 1989, he was convicted on 55 counts of fraud-related charges, which authorities said amounted to around $1.2 million of ill-gotten gains. He was sentenced to 36 years in prison, but the judge suspended all but eight years on the condition that Stanley repay his victims. So Stanley goes to prison for a while. He agrees to this, this judgment. 
he's released from jail. And then when it came time for him to show up and pay restitution, what do you know? He didn't. He skipped town. So nearly a decade after his conviction, he would establish himself in California under the identity Michael Finney. He recognized pretty early on that there was this frantic rush toward funding businesses that were built on top of the web. And he knew a good opportunity when he saw one. Now, I've said this many times in the past, but whenever you've got yourself something that people do not fully understand, but they're excited about it, it opens up the opportunity for scam artists to take advantage of people's ignorance and enthusiasm. In the 90s, the web represented exactly that kind of opportunity. We see the same stuff happening today with stuff like cryptocurrency and NFTs. Now, I don't mean to say that all crypto is just a scam, or even that all NFTs are a scam. But what I am saying is that when people are eager to pour their money into something they don't fully comprehend, there will be plenty of other folks who are just willing to take said money. And Finney was one of those folks. Now, to his credit, he did actually put together a team of engineers who were legitimately trying to make the vision of Pixelon work, even if they ended up leaning very heavily on other companies' products to do it. Now, this kind of makes me think of Theranos. Uh, I get the feeling that Elizabeth Holmes had a fairly good idea toward the end that her vision of a device capable of running more than 100 medical tests on the tiniest drop of blood wasn't really likely, maybe not even possible. Uh, she certainly didn't know how to make it actually happen. But she did have a whole company filled with engineers who were trying really hard to make that vision come true. They just couldn't do it. Now, I feel like Pixelon was in a similar place, uh, only maybe Elizabeth Holmes might have been a bit more sincere in her initial effort. Maybe her earliest days were based more on naivete rather than, you know, just a, a cold, uh, calculated approach to scamming people out of their money. But Finney slash Stanley feels like it was more on the let's get as much cash as we can approach. I don't know. Maybe Finney believed it too. But eventually, authorities in Virginia sussed out that the Michael Finney in California was, in fact, the David Kim Stanley who was wanted in places like Virginia and Tennessee. So they called him up and they told them they were on to him and he would subsequently turn himself into the authorities. Now, as you might imagine, this sent some shockwaves through Pixelon. Even though he had already left Pixelon or been forced to leave, finding out that your founder wasn't who he said he was is a bit surprising. I'm pretty sure that at least some people were not surprised that he had been involved in illegal stuff, but they might have been surprised to learn that he wasn't Michael Finney. Now, if Finney had just been an overenthusiastic but naive founder who had made some really questionable calls, Pixelon might have survived. But the revelation that he was a wanted fugitive and had a history of running scams was obviously a big strike against the company. People were worried that maybe he had stolen money from the company. He had apparently been d demanding that he be paid out of, uh, like, the petty cash fund. Anyway, Pixelon would possibly have recovered from it if he had just been a well-meaning but inept founder. But the company also had to face another big challenge. 
It turned out that Pixelon owed several different parties a significant amount of money and shares of stock. So there were vendors that had done work on the office space. They were owed cash. Uh, there were consultants who were promised shares of stock in return for their work. And Pixelon was facing creditors who just wanted to get paid. The whole situation was unsustainable. While under other circumstances, the Pixelon team might have been able to get a working system up and running and make it a reliable one and perhaps even become YouTube before YouTube was a thing, it all came crashing down. The investors booted the management team and Pixelon went into Chapter 11 bankruptcy, effectively disappearing in 2001. As for Michael Finney slash David Kim Stanley, I'm not entirely certain what happened to him after he turned himself in. Uh, he has a YouTube channel, which was established, I think, in 2011. It has maybe a dozen video clips in it, some of them dating to the days when he was a piano player in his father's church back in the late 80s. There's also the Star Trek promo spot that Pixelon did for Paramount on that channel. But yeah, I don't know how his legal issues ultimately resolved. If you happen to know, you know, give me a shout out. Let me know, because I'm curious. By the way, if you want to see a dramatic retelling of the events of Pixelon, um, not necessarily a 100% accurate retelling, but an entertaining one, National Geographic did a series a, a couple of years ago called Valley of the Boom, which follows multiple threads during the dot-com boom days. And one of them is the story of Michael Finney and Pixelon. And uh, Steve Zahn plays Michael Finney. So you should check that out if you're really curious to see a dramatization of this tale. Because uh, it's, again, pretty entertaining. Robert Feldman actually said that he felt that the other threads, the ones that followed stuff like Netscape, were perhaps more accurate than the Pixelon version. But still... Something to, you know, check out if you haven't seen it before. And that's it for this episode. If you have suggestions for future topics I should tackle on Tech Stuff, reach out to me. The handle for the show on Twitter is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.